0: The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
1: Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's great to be gathered together for the first time in a new year to praise and worship God. I've had a good new year so far. I've got a new shirt. My wife says it's the worst shirt she's ever seen. I've had seven compliments so far this morning. So it means there's a couple of hundred people who haven't said anything, but I'm assuming you're with the people that have complimented me. Uh, But it's a great start to the year, and I am hoping and praying and believing. That 2018 is going to be the best year yet for you personally and also for us as a church as we continue to share the good news of Jesus right throughout this region and beyond. Today we're starting a summer series. We want to get off to a good start. And so we're starting a summer series today in the book of Psalms. I think it's a good book to do in holiday time because at this time of year a lot of people are away. Uh, But every psalm is unique and different, and so if you miss a week, you can come the next week, and you don't miss part of of a series, you actually get to hear a new psalm, and and the the goodness that each psalm brings is new and fresh every week. And so I have done my mass this week, and I thought maybe we could do psalms every January. And I did my mass, there's 150 psalms. And so if we spend a couple of weeks on Psalm 119, which is 176 verses, um, that gives us 38 Januaries. ...of Psalms, which will about see me out. So that's pretty good. And so I thought, yeah, we could start a new trend this year and do Psalms. It's a great book to do it. But all in all seriousness, I love the Psalms. I try and read one every day. And I love the transparency, particularly, of the Psalms. Many of them were written by David. And it would be fair to say... Uh, I just love his complete honesty with God. And as we go through the Psalms, it really feels like we kind of ride the roller coaster of his emotions and of his faith as we read each and every Psalm. And so sometimes you read about the mountaintops of success. And other Psalms are all about the valleys of despair, the cries of doubt and fear. The declarations of faith and the extravagance of praise and worship towards God are all found in this incredible book and this incredible collection of psalms. And it really is beautiful. And considering all of that, we've titled our series Life Real. It's kind of like a life reel of David's life, but we've spelled it R-E-A-L. Because this is a snapshot of what our lives are like. This is real life. And I think that's pretty clever. But you guys, judging by your expression today, you don't agree. That's okay. Life real, real life, life real. Uh, Hopefully you get it. But it's a great uh, series to start and to do in January. And today we're starting with my favorite psalm, Psalm 23. And I think it's easily the most popular psalm in the Bible by both people of faith and people who profess no faith whatsoever. A quick Google search and you'll find a list of current music artists who have quoted Psalm 23 in their songs. Uh, Pink Floyd quoted Psalm 23. Anyone like Pink Floyd? Everyone over 50 puts up their hand. Yeah, you like Pink Floyd? Um, for others, the Grateful Dead, you too. Uh, for people my age, you might remember Coolio, who sung "Gangsta's Paradise from the Dangerous Minds soundtrack, and the very first line, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. I could keep going. I'm a closet rapper, but I won't. I won't keep going this morning. Uh, but speaking of rappers, Tupac. Tupac, the 25-year-old guy that was shot dead a number of years ago, uh, a world-famous rapper. He used Psalm 23 in one of his songs. Uh, how about this one? Marilyn Manson he used Psalm 23 in one of his songs. Kanye West and Megadeth all use Psalm 23 in their songs. Now, just to put your mind at ease, you won't find many of them on the follow playlist on Spotify. <laughs> but it does highlight there's a very well-known psalm, and I think there's a good reason for that. The imagery used in this psalm and the promises found within it are nothing short of absolutely stunning. For me, Psalm 23 is my go-to passage when life gets difficult. I love going to this psalm, and I don't read it as much as I meditate on it. And as I meditate on Psalm 23, I find each line of the psalm brings amazing comfort in every season of life. I find myself literally being calmed by the Holy Spirit as I read verse by verse. Today, I want to try and capture that, and I want this message to be meditative in a lot of ways. And there'll be times where I pause for 30 seconds to a minute throughout this message, and I want to warn you it will be uncomfortable. And we be very uncomfortable because we don't uh, tend to make time and space in our lives to regularly pause and reflect. But as we pause this morning, you might want to close your eyes or bow your heads, and I would encourage you to meditate on the words of this psalm and allow them to wash over you, trusting that the Holy Spirit will bring refreshment and comfort as we prepare for a new year. But before we get to that, I think we need to talk about sheep and the shepherd. So let's start with the sheep. There's three things I think you should know about sheep. Number one, sheep are dumb. A couple of years ago, there was a guy in Turkey who was a shepherd. He had a flock of 400 sheep, but this shepherd could go on no longer. He'd had enough of life, and he decided he was going to end his life by walking off the edge of a cliff. And so he walked off the edge of the cliff, plunging to his death, and if he didn't die from the fall, he would have died as 400 sheep followed him off the edge and landed on top of him. The sheep are incredibly dumb. Not only are they dumb, sheep are directionless. Have you ever heard the saying, sheep are prone to wander? Well, they are. They don't seem to have any sense of direction and sometimes any sense of purpose in life. And there are times where they simply just wander off, like space cadets just wandering off, uh, which is exactly why they need a shepherd. Sheep are directionless. Thirdly, the third compliment is that sheep are defenseless, sheep can't fight. They can't defend themselves, they are completely vulnerable to all the predators that they find around them, and if they're left to fight for themselves, they will soon be roast lamb in no time, which I'm quite happy about because they are very yummy. <laughs> sheep will not survive without a shepherd. Sheep are defenseless. Now consider all of that this morning and ask yourself this question: Who are the sheep in Psalm 23? Repeat after me. I am, I am. dumb, directionless, and defenseless. You don't have to say that. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are. Much easier to do that. But what this passage is highlighting is that we are sheep. And if we are sheep, we desperately need a shepherd. And so let's talk about the shepherd this morning. Here's an interesting fact. This psalm was written by David after he had become the king of Israel. So he's become king. Now, you might remember David started off as a shepherd boy. You might even remember the story when David was anointed king. David was one of seven brothers And the prophet Samuel went to his father Jesse and said, bring out all your sons because I'm going to anoint one of those boys the next king of Israel. And so Jesse brings out his first six sons. And Samuel works down the the line going, no, 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 no. And he says, is that all you've got? And he says, no, I've got one more. But I didn't bring him out because he's the youngest. And not only is he the youngest, but he's just a shepherd boy. And so Samuel said, bring him to me. And as soon as he came, he he said, said of David, he said, he's the one. And he anointed him the future king of Israel. Now, this was an incredible thing because how could he possibly be king? Becoming king was a massive upgrade on being a shepherd boy. A shepherd was seen as the lowest occupation you could possibly have, a job for commoners working with stinky, dumb, defenseless, directionless sheep. And we know that God is often described in Scripture as the king. But here in this beautiful psalm that describes who Jesus is, King David doesn't describe him as the king, but he instead describes him as the shepherd. And I think that's significant. He knew that the Lord was the king of the earth and everything in it. He knew that people looked down on shepherds. So why would he describe Jesus as a shepherd? Well, I think he did it because he knew intimately what a shepherd was like and he knew exactly what a shepherd did. Shepherds lived with their flock. They actually dwelled among the sheep. And everyone else might see sheep as useless animals, but not the shepherd. The shepherd loves the sheep. He protects them. He fights for them. He tends to them and cares for them. And if necessary, he will lay his life down for his sheep. And for a shepherd, he intimately knows his sheep. He knows each of them by name. Now, Kim and I semi-regularly have the privilege and opportunity to go and visit couples who have a newborn baby, and we go in and we see the newborn baby, and we do all the things you're meant to do when you visit a baby, you ooh, and you ah, and you say, oh, wow, they're so cute, beautiful, what a, what a gift from God. We drop off a present, and then we go home. But this is how the conversation goes on the way home. Kim will say, wow, did you see that baby? The eyes, just like its dad. A spitting image of the dad, but the nose, a little button-like, like the mum. And do you see the hair? It's, a, it's kind of fine, a little tinge of red, just like the dad, but the fingers just like mum. And the little feet, I reckon there's a bit of the dad in the feet, and, and you know, the expression was all mum. It was all mum. Did you see that? And, and to be honest, I, I was in the same room. <laughs> I had the same lighting. I had the same everything. And you know, I don't mean to offend anyone this morning, but do you know what I saw? I saw a baby or a baby and you might think your baby is the cutest baby that's ever lived and we know that's not possible because my kids were but if we're honest they kind of all look the same And if you want a proper verdict on how good looking your child is come back in 20 years and we'll have a better idea but for now we just pray and say good luck (laughs) but if it's hard to tell kids apart how much more difficult would it be to tell sheep apart I think that's why we say, if you can't sleep, count sheep, because they all look exactly the same. One, two. That's what sheep do. They're just sheep, but not for the shepherd. Every one of them for the shepherd is unique. Every one of them is precious. You might remember in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a shepherd that has a 100 sheep, and he's got these 100 sheep, but one wanders off. And the shepherd doesn't say, oh, well, dumb thing, 99 more, where that came from, baby? I'll just keep these 99 and don't worry about that one. No, no, he makes sure the 99 are safe. And then he goes to find the one, the one sheep to rescue that sheep and to bring it back. Because he loves each and every sheep. Every sheep is unique. Every sheep is precious. And so let me ask you the question again. Who are the sheep in Psalm 23? Psalm 23. To you and me. I think it's fascinating that Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, here's the stunning thing. That Jesus, the great shepherd, doesn't just fight for his sheep as the shepherd, but in order to save them, he becomes one of them. And he humbles himself even to death, death on a cross. The good and great shepherd himself becomes the perfect spotless lamb of God who dies for the sins of the world. You know that sheep might be dumb, but did you know that they never forget a face? They know who their shepherd is, and so meditate on that this morning. You may want to close your eyes, but allow this truth to permeate your soul this morning. The Lord is my... Make it personal this morning, church. The Lord is my shepherd when I'm doing things that are dumb, when I'm wandering off track. When I can't defend myself any longer, I remember he loves me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I love that thought, but I must say I like the more traditional version better. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I like that because it carries a double meaning depending on the emphasis you use. It works as both a declaration and also a decision. Firstly, it can mean I lack nothing because the Lord provides our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider in Matthew chapter 6. We know that passage well, don't we? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We don't have to worry about all those things because Jesus provides for us in incredible ways. The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. It's a declaration of faith that he will provide. But it can also be a deliberate decision not to want more than what he provides. And it's powerful because one of the reasons I think we struggle to rest in the Lord is that we have this unhealthy and insatiable desire for more. We get money, we want more money. We get one car, we need a faster one. We get a job, we want a promotion. We get an iPhone, we need the new version. We get a house, it's got to be bigger. And the world tells us that what's needed to be successful is to keep moving up the rungs. But let me tell you a secret this morning. It never satisfies. It never satisfies. It's like chasing the wind. You'll never find satisfaction in those things apart from Christ. So we have this constant striving. That the book of Ecclesiastes describes as meaningless, and we're never content. It's never enough. So we work ourselves to exhaustion. We rack up debt, which builds stress in our lives. And so maybe in 2018, the Holy Spirit is convicting you to meditate on these words. If you're one of those people, you're in a season where you keep looking to the temporary things of this life for ultimate joy and satisfaction and peace, maybe today God is challenging you to lift your eyes from the temporary to the eternal King as your ultimate source of joy and peace and provision. Today it's a declaration of contentment as well as a statement of faith. Is Jesus enough for you? Or is it Jesus plus, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down. In green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Last Sunday was New Year's Eve and we had some guests at our house and it was a fairly late night and the following day I went to the Young's house for a game of cricket and after many hours of playing cricket, mainly batting to be honest, lots of hours playing in the sun with no sunscreen whatsoever, I think I ended up with a mild case of sunstroke. Now we planned to get an early night that night and so we headed home after dinner but we had some complications with Lenny's health and so I went to the doctor and then we got sent to the emergency department at Monash. And we didn't get out of there till 1.30am. The next morning, we needed to be in the city by 9am for a performance of Wind in the Willows in the Botanical Gardens as a family. And it would be fair to say that we were all pretty exhausted by that time. Part of the performance was done at a beautiful still lake, and watching as these actors performed. And at the end of the performance, we had a picnic lunch in the gardens. And after lunch, with my face on fire with sunburn, and with my body feeling tired and weary, I found a tree and I laid in the cool grass. And it was no more than 20 minutes that I laid in that grass, but I've got to say, by the time I got up, I felt like my soul had been restored. The quiet, the stillness, the coolness, the rest. I can only imagine what it was like for a sheep in the ancient Near East. The shepherds went on operating in a botanical garden-like landscape. I've been to the Middle East recently and I can see I've seen for myself that it's fairly barren. And for these shepherds, it would have been dusty and dry and rocky. And grass in the summer months particularly was difficult to find. And we know that sheep are directionless. And so left to their own devices, they'd never find the still water. And they'd never find the grass. But the thing is this, that the sheep don't need to know where those things are. The sheep only needs to know where the shepherd is. The shepherd would guide the sheep to precisely what they needed when they needed it. And so they relied on the shepherd to guide them to the green pastures and the still waters. And he would provide the right conditions for the sheep because they don't know when to rest. They're kind of dumb. And they also don't sit down easily. They also don't drink from running water, so it must be completely still. You know, when I read this passage this week and I thought about those words, he makes me lie down. I had this picture of a shepherd with all of his sheep going up to each and every sheep and pushing down their reluctant backsides to try and get them to rest on the ground. And I could only think of my disobedient bull terrier pup. When I do the same thing, I say, sit. And he looks at me and like, no, sit. Not doing it. Sit. And he finally sits down. And maybe it's a little bit true for us, isn't it? We're, We're kind of reluctant at times to rest. We go at this incredible pace and we never stop, even though deep down we know we need to rest. But I think I read something this week that's very helpful in this regard. It's by a guy called Philip Keller, an ex-shepherd. And he says this. He says, sheep do not lie down easily and will not lie down unless four conditions are met. Because they are timid, they will not lie down if they're afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if they are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. So rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. And so it's not just about making the sheep sit down. It's actually about providing the right environment for them to do it comfortably and safely. And that's what the Lord does for us as well. We don't always know what's best for ourselves, but Jesus does. And he says, all you've got to do is come to me. He says, come to me, all of you who are tired and weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The start of 2018, are you feeling tired? Has your passion waned? Are you feeling dry and worn out? Well, remember this, that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So this morning, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And you can meditate on those words for the next 25 minutes or so. I'm doing physically. I encourage you this year to find times to do this spiritually. To allow the shepherd to make you lie down. To allow the streams of living water that come from him to refresh your soul. To rest from the busyness and the clutter and the concerns of life. To be in those cool places. get up now I'm going to nod off he makes me lie down green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake i think all of us need to remind ourselves from time to time that we're not the great i am he is often we say that we're serving god for his sake But when you peel back the layers of religious language, what is revealed is a heart that strives for recognition, a servant who wants everyone to know everything they do, a life that's lived for our own sake, not for God's. So the question is today, are you wanting to be God this year and make it all about you? Or are you wanting to serve God and make it all about him? I think at the start of a new year, it's good to reevaluate our motives and our passions and what drives our hearts To see if it lines up with what it's meant to line up, his glory. see if it lines up with the vision and mission of our church. The vision is Jesus. The mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. It's not about making a name for ourselves and saying, look at us. It's about making a name for him and saying, look at him. He's awesome. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are With me. I love this part of the passage. And there's a couple of things I love about this particular verse, verse 4. What I know about a shadow is this, that a shadow only exists if there's a light. No light, no shadow. Complete darkness. So a shadow only exists if there's a light. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus is the light of the world, which tells me, church, there's not a single trial or trouble or season or crisis or tragedy or sadness. You will ever walk alone because Jesus will be with you always. He's the light that pierces through our darkness. And So this year, when you're going through those difficult times thinking, God, where are you? When you look at the footprints and say there's only one set there, remember in those times it's when he carried you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The second thing I love about this passage is it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if you're a pessimist, you'll say, okay, great, I'm going to have to walk through trials. If you're an optimist like me, you're going to say, I walk through. I walk through it. I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I'm not running. I'm not screaming. I'm not panicking. I'm walking. Notice we don't sit there. We don't stay there. We don't dwell in the valley of the shadow of death as I walk through. (laughs) As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going through a dark season in your life. Do you feel like you stumbled? Are you dwelling in a dark place? Have you given up? I want to say to you this morning, don't give up. Get up. Get up and walk. How can you do it? Because the Lord your God is with you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some commentators think it's talking about two separate weapons. Most commentators agree it's likely to be one a long wooden staff with a hook on the end that the shepherd uses to gently guide the sheep to pastures and streams of water. But the gentle staff can also quickly turn into a lethal weapon when danger comes. The shepherd uses it to fend off the wolf, the lion, the tiger, and the bear. And so it's multi purpose. This staff it kind of reminds me of Jesus' character, he's multi purpose, he's the lion. And he's the lamb. He's the shepherd. But he's also the king. He's the gate. But he's the sheep. There isn't one analogy to describe Jesus. We can't pigeonhole him by using one word because he's beyond anything we could describe. He's everything we need. He is what we need him to be when we need it the most. What an awesome (laughs) saviour. This year... What a person to turn to through all the trials and the tribulations and the joys and the mountaintops and the valleys of life. He's everything we need when we need it. He is an incredible, life-changing savior. And so as a shepherd, he's always guiding us. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him like a sheep to a shepherd and he will make your path straight but he's also always protecting us. Deuteronomy 20, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Exodus 14, as the Israelites are about to go through the Red Sea, uh, it says the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And of course in Romans 8, it says if God is for us, who can be against us? Are you concerned about 2018? Are you looking for direction in your life? Do you feel like you're under attack? Are there people who are troubling you? Do you feel like the enemy's wearing you down? Your staff and your rod, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I love that the end destination is not the valley. <laughs> it's a table. We don't sit in the valley of the shadow of death. We're seated at the table with Christ. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of conducting Johnsy and Mercedes' wedding. It was a wonderful day, awesome day in a lot of ways, and for the reception, we were at Portsea Hotel, and it was set up beautifully, and there was a real feeling of celebration that a great couple had come together. People were relaxed and comfortable. The cups were filled to overflowing because you could keep filling them up. People's stomachs were filled with delicious food, and we were there to celebrate this beautiful relationship of the bride and the groom. And I've got to say that I don't think I've ever seen a bride who looked more smitten of her husband than Mercedes. She had eyes only for Josh. And as they were doing the speeches, she just sat there and stared at him with this grin on her face and this look of incredible deep love and and awe and adoration for Josh. And I think it was made even cuter because she is so small and he is so massive. (laughs) So she was kind of like looking up. And we were all seated there at the table and it was a great privilege enjoying what was provided and soaking in this incredible occasion. And I think there's a picture here in this psalm that we as God's people are invited into these spaces of life where there is rest and joy and provision and blessing even in the midst of our enemies. It says we're invited to the table. I think it's those times in life when we're just in awe of how good God is. When God provides in ways, when he answers prayers, when we look at creation, we just go, wow, God, you are incredible. I don't deserve any of this and yet you have blessed me every day of my life in so many ways. And I think when we see those incredible things in our lives, those moments of life that are so special, I think it's a glimpse of what we have in store for us in our eternal future. We're going to celebrate communion together today as a community, in just a couple of minutes. And I think it's significant that it's referred to as the Lord's table. Because as we gather around the table, as Jesus did at the Last Supper, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And as we take the bread representing his body given for us, and as we drink the cup representing his blood that was shed for our sins, we look back and we remember the eternal goodness and blessing of God when the great shepherd became the great sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And so we look back with hearts bursting with gratitude. But we also look forward with hearts of expectation. We look to the present as well. We remind ourselves that God provides for us in many ways, that he's working all things together for good, but we look forward with hearts of faith and great expectation. At that first last supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you and your Father's kingdom. At the very end of the Bible, we turn to Revelations chapter 19. And it tells us about that day. It describes another feast, another table, another wedding. And it's a celebration held for all those in Christ. And it happens in the midst of our enemies. But the very next scene describes the devil being destroyed once and for all. It's the wedding of Christ. And this time we're not just guests watching a couple get married. But this time we're the bride, his church. It's the wedding of Christ and us, his church. And let me read how it's described in Revelation 19. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, you and I, has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Just as Mercedes looked up to Johnsey, Johnsy's a fine specimen of a man, but he's got nothing on Jesus. And that day we'll look up to Jesus, not just with an adoration, but with a deep sense of reverence and love. We will bow our heads in worship and praise to the King of kings who has saved us, his church. I think Psalm 23, in the same way as communion does, reminds us that because of the great shepherd, we can declare with eternal confidence, what it says in verse 6, my favorite verse in the whole psalm, which says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, into my workplace, into my family, into my friendship circle, in those times of need. Surely God's goodness and mercy and love will follow us all the days of my life in the present, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our future. What an awesome promise that is. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time around your table to remind ourselves of all you've done, all you're doing, and all you'll do in the future. Lord, we are so in awe of you at the start of a new year. We remember that your mercies are new every morning. And so as we meditate on Psalms, such as Psalm 23, Lord, I pray that you would do something significant in our lives, that you would calm our souls, that you would bring refreshment and faith and provision and that through it all, Lord God, we'd bring glory to your name as we remember our eternal future that will dwell in your house forever. We thank you for all this and we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.